testing. I think it's working. We get Dave up. Uh, Peter, Juan, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hey, Mario. Perfect. Hey, man. Hey, we've got Danish joining us as well. Just give us a bit of an overview. Uh, Dave, it would be great to have you as well. Just on the FOMC meeting today, Scott can't join us, so it would be get, good to get the uh, uh, the other experts on stage. You've got Peter here, got Chris as well. Just to kind of go through what we can expect today. We did discuss it yesterday. Dave, you were there yesterday. I think you give us kind of an overview of what was discussed yesterday. Danish will come and give us an overview of what was discussed in the finance space earlier today. And then Ryan will be coming in to discuss the Jupiter launch. Um, that was uh, hyped as an airdrop. It's the biggest DEX on Solana. I think it's the biggest DEX period. I think it's doing more volume than Uniswap. Correct me, anyone, if I got it wrong. And then we'll dig into the news. I want to focus on the ETF. I think we've got inflows for the first time. And we'll get a couple of ETF experts to kind of go through that as well. Maybe, Dave, you can give us your thoughts on that. But uh, let's kick it off. And, um, and Juan as well. Um, Juan, you can go through the, uh, the numbers when it comes to the ETFs. Because suddenly no one's talking about them. But I still think it's the, uh, the most important thing, one of the most important things. Um, in this cycle. But let's kick it off with uh, Wahid. It's been a while we haven't had you on stage. Today's FOMC, I think the decision is not what everyone's waiting for, but it's, it's what's said in the speech. And um, what can we expect? How important is it? Um, what are the predictions by the analysts, the experts? And how, what do you think it means for risk assets and for crypto? Yeah. Um, so I think this is a very tricky one. Um, you know, uh, the first week of December, Basically, you know, we were under the auspices of we are not uh, looking to cut rates soon. This isn't in the consideration. We are stopping, uh, you know, raising rates. And obviously, two weeks later, a complete 180 uh, where we see dot plots at, at three. And and now, you know, the market uh, going all the way to six cuts and now retrenching a little bit to five or four and three quarters. And, um, you know, uh, since that time, uh, uh, financial conditions have, have, have eased so much that it literally rendered almost 200 basis points, 175 to 200 basis points of rate hikes, completely ineffective. So we've actually been, in terms of market uh, financial conditions, uh, we've essentially eased 200 basis points, okay, just in terms of that measurement. Now, uh, they finally... Um, um, finally put a close to the biggest ARB uh, out there in terms of uh, the regional banks, you know, tapping into the bailout program and picking up 40, 50 basis points of risk-free uh, interest in terms of the difference between reserves and the um, BTFD uh, uh, fund. Um, so I think we're going to expect a lot of uh, discussion about, you know, that shutdown, I guess it's March 12th or somewhere around there. Um, and um, to answer your question very specifically, Mario, uh, I don't think he intended for financial conditions to get this easy. Uh, on the margin, inflation numbers haven't really crashed. They're sort of stabilizing, but they're still 100, 150 basis points easy off of the 2% bogey. Um, I think he's going to try to keep his optionality there, but maybe try to rein in financial conditions a bit. And then uh, to contradict myself completely, you just put out a tweet showing maybe the first victim of the regional banks. And so are we going to rear our ugly head in four weeks with the regional bank crisis? Um, Danish, can you, can, you, can you go through what that is? So we'll put out a, a tweet of the, the, the bank. Uh, let me try to get the name here. It's a small regional bank, uh, relatively small, if you look at the big guys. But it's uh, New York Bank Corp. It crashed 40%. The stock was halted for a bit. Then it resumed trading afterwards. But that was that's nothing to do with the contagion. I was speaking to Danish about it. Uh, offline, I'm like, hey, is that related to the contagion? And I'll tell you exactly what he said, maybe get your thoughts on it. Um, 
let me get Danish up. And he said, he said it's pretty major, but then he said uh, it's uh, it's the aftermath of the the buyout of Signature Bank, but it's not systemic. Uh, do you agree with uh, Danish here? And just for anyone listening, if you go through one of my latest tweets that the team put out, uh, New York Bank Corp crashed 40% and trading was halted uh, about half an hour ago and then resumed again. So bank reserves have uh, have actually crashed in the last uh, nine months. Uh, Janet Yellen has issued so many T bills that it's basically sucked out, uh, um, you know, all the uh, um, uh, you, you know all the equivalent reserves from the money market funds. So essentially, um, you know, uh, part of the reason why I think the Fed pivoted is because he's trying to preempt any regional crisis. Uh, uh, happening in the in regional bank crisis happening, uh, call it March or, or April. So this is a little bit earlier than expected. Ominous that it's on the day of the Fed decision. Um, I do think it's a big deal because we still have the mortgage-backed security uh, crisis um, out there, the CMBS, uh, you know, debacle, and 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 real estate, commercial real estate hasn't really improved. If if, if anything, it's gotten a lot tighter and weaker in the last six months. So I really don't know how they they sort of square the hole. So they um, are they going to stop QT? Are they going to slow it down? There's already been hints to that. Um, what are they going to do with bank reserves going down to I think sub 500 billion now? Um, sorry, not 5D. I'm talking about the reverse repos. Um, you know, we're at that point now where uh, bank reserves are probably not going to be adequate. How does that dovetail with the you know with the closure of some of these bailout funds? In March and, and forcing banks to go to the discount window, so all of this is coming at a crescendo. And then, of course, you've got the you've got the elections in November. Is it going to cut into the elections? Is it going to get political? So I just I go back to the original statement I made. It's a very complicated, very complicated Fed decision today. Not going to raise, uh, not going to uh, cut rates today. Is he going to hint to March? Is it going to keep his optionality? How is it going to rein in financial conditions? How is he going to preempt the whole QT thing? What, what about bank reserves? What about news of some regional banks teetering on weakness again, if not implosion? Very complicated. I don't know how he threads this needle. Uh, uh, the question after you, and I'll go to Peter and Dave, is um, I remember the, the times, uh, the kind of scary times a few months ago when we, you were coming on stage in the finance spaces and the collapse of Silicon Valley and all the others. Um, and we're talking about banking contagion. Um, and then... Um, we were worried about a hard landing as well. Has that ship sailed? Have we avoided that and things look the, the Fed has done the right thing and uh, and we're out of the woods? Or you still think there's a possibility we could uh, get back to these levels? And so then maybe go not, through maybe go through the PMI PPI numbers as well or CPI well, numbers they did, as well. They did they did very stealth QE, right? If you remember, they had like three to four hundred billion expansion of their balance sheet just in the weeks following Silicon Valley. They introduced, you know, the whole alphabet soup of bailout program. Um, they, uh, you know, quintessentially uh, uh, allowed FDIC insurance to go beyond the 100000 just by the fact of, of, of giving banks access to these bailout funds. Um, so they patched it. Now, what are the underlying symptoms? Uh, what, are the under, sorry, what are the underlying conditions that generated these symptoms? Have they been resolved? The answer is no. The commercial mortgage-backed uh, market is still very weak. Uh, lending is extremely tight, much tighter than it was even six months ago. Um, and so I, you know, they haven't solved the underlying problems. Uh, meanwhile, we still have $2 trillion that we have to borrow in the next 12 months. 
okay, deficits have to be met. Where are we going to get all that money? So I, I really don't know. I, I, I'm just sort of thinking that they have sort of these dark clouds ahead of them. Inflation hasn't come down enough. But it's come down. But it's but 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 we're here. We're here, and Danish is in as well. But guys, it's it's come down despite October seventh, despite the war in the Middle East, despite Houthis and what's happening there, and despite the Ukraine so war the rate, continuing. So the rate. So the rate of growth has come down to sort of the three percent range. Okay, um, and then they you, you know they 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 keep xing out food and energy and shelter and all these different gimmicks. Structural inflation. Uh, admitted is not in the five, six, seven percent range anymore, but it's at a seven three. And we all know that that last hundred basis points is the most difficult to, to get rid of. Now, do they do they sort of wink and hint that this is the kind of the new normal? If that's the new normal, risk assets are going to fly. If we're really coalescing to a three percent long term inflation target, which is what I've been arguing for the longest time, because that's the only way you could stomach this monstrosity of leverage globally. Um, if we all sort of admit to that, and that is the tacit sort of guidance, without them actually saying it, then I think we're going to be okay. But right now, you know, we're still in this conundrum. They haven't solved the problems in the mortgage market uh, unless they really lower rates. The regional banking crisis, I think, can revert in in, in March, April. Um, uh, you know, he's pivoting, but can he really? lower rates 125 150 basis points with employment where it is and inflation sort of not 100% taken care of i don't know i think he's i go back to what i'm saying he's between a rock and a hard place mm. danish i want to go to you and then we'll go to dave and peter you host the finance spaces every morning just before this space and um, what's the sentiment like in those spaces and then your personal opinion as well the sentiment in those spaces is uh, nobody, there's significant disbelief of what the market is doing. Being this close to all-time highs or at all-time highs seems wild. And earnings are showing us they're beating on top line, they're beating on bottom line sometimes, but outlook is negative. We saw Google come out with that. We saw Microsoft come out with that. That was surprising for a lot of people. Um, and you know, they're not really paying the price because Microsoft is just, you know, hitting it out of the park. But across the board, there is some concern around earnings outlook. Uh, so that's on the earnings side. On the job side, there's a lot of disbelief around what the employment data is from the government. Um, I know I've been very vocal about the fact that I think a lot of it is uh, is driven by government employment. Uh, when you look at private payrolls, ADP data came out today significant miss 107,000 versus 150 expected that is a significant private payrolls data miss on adp i think that that the market has to digest that information on the inflation side two big things so wahid's commentary around what's happening in the red sea uh wahid's commentary just in, in general uh, mario your commentary on october 7th and now iran it's not been it's not it, there's a lag we're not going to see that data immediately. There's there's going to be a lag. We've seen oil rise uh, over the past month. It's come down today a little bit. But overall, we've seen oil rise. We're going to see the impact of WTI rising play out into the rest of the economy. So the answer is we are uncertain. I have to say I this, this is one of the, uh, you know, uh, for people that come to our shows every morning at 8 a.m., you know, they know that there's been a lot of certainty around disinflation, like disinflation's happening. 
they they will do whatever they can to get inflation lower. Um, and we're, there was a lag effect of that. What we're seeing now is that the Fed is stuck between a rock and a hard place. They their uh, backdoor quantitative easing, which is essentially uh, flooding the the market with liquidity. They've been doing it, uh, you know, behind our backs with the BTFP program, uh, which they're essentially giving banks the ability to borrow at better rates than what cost them, which is freaking nuts. And they're able to flush the entire market with liquidity. Uh, that ends on March 11th. We don't know what that does. Number two, uh, uh, you know, we can they know, can they can they extend it, Danish? That's what I think most people are hoping for. But look, it's well, they announced they announced they're not, and they closed the ARP uh, window uh, a week ago. But they announced they're not, they're not. They said that they're not going to extend BTFP. But he people are hoping that there will be an alternative program that kind of. Oh, so there's going to be a yeah. new. There's going to be. It's called a, the it's called the discount window. Yeah, I mean, going to be a, there's going to be a new there's going to be a new a new stimulus package because otherwise the banks are just going to go glug 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 glug. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 100%. But I was going to say that, you know, I actually don't think, Rand, they're going to be able to get away with that. But it'll be interesting. It's an election year. It's very confusing. It's a very confusing time. It's an election year. So that's number one, is, is what happens with the banks on March 11th. We don't know. Number two, there's a lot of uncertainty around earnings with all these companies that have been flying high with really high PE ratios. And then, you know, to me, inflation and the uncertainty around that, they don't you know, right now, the Fed doesn't know what to do. So today in the FOMC, we're going to see some of that. Everybody is going to be a freaking clinical psychologist today, looking at how he touches his hair, how he touches his glasses, how much he's sweating, like all of that stuff. I think we're going to see an uncertain, a very uncertain Jerome Powell. He's going to talk about being data driven. He's going to talk about all the same old stuff that we saw on the way up. Uh, it's very confusing where we end up with this now. Let me give you a thesis. Let me give you a thesis and let's see if my thesis plays out or doesn't play out. Let's break up the FOMC meetings, the last couple of FOMC meetings into three parts. The first one was everything before September last year. And then the question before those FOMC meetings is when is the Fed going to stop raising rates? We eventually got our answer in September, right? So like, you could say that all the FOMC meetings before September, we were with a bearish mindset because we were saying, is he going to increase rates or are they going to remain the same? And our best case scenario was that they were going to remain the same. And that, that was the pivot in inverted commas that we were looking for. And then the market was actually fixated with negative news in Powell's comments, not positive news in Powell's comments. Then we had September. September was the first FOMC meeting where um, the rates were held steady. And so the, that was, we went from a bearish outlook or a, or a negative outcome to a neutral outcome, right? We said, okay, ah, good. See, we've pivoted. This was the beginning of the pivot. We're now neutral. And then we started asking in the next two FOMCs, the question was not how long will they hold it neutral for, but rather how soon are we going to get the first dip? Now, the psychology behind that is that if you look at the last, and I actually analyzed, I broke it down on my show. I analyzed the last couple of FOMC meetings and what happened in the FOMC meetings. And what you can see is in the last two FOMC meetings, the market ripped during Powell's statement. And the reason why the market ripped during Powell's statement is because in an environment where we're looking for affirmations, we're, we're looking for affirmations. We're not looking for 
we're looking for something to affirm our thesis that rates are going to continue to, to drop. And so every time Powell said something, and I think if, you go, if, if the aliens came down and started listening to the last FOMC meetings, they would have said, look, Powell actually said nothing. He just said, we're going to rely on data. But what the market was looking for was the market was looking for positive affirmations of their thesis. And that's a, a bias that, that markets actually trade is in bull markets, people look for positive bias to, to, to give their, their, their um, and in bear markets, they look for negative bias. Now we're, now markets at all time highs, there is, markets are looking for confirmation of their positive bias. And that's, that's the majority of what they're actually trading on. So unless he comes out tonight, was something that is direct and opposite to rate cuts happening in May, or as or if he comes out and says, "Look, we don't think that there's going to be rate cuts, rate cuts for the next six to eight months," then I think we get a sharp decline. But I think anything short of that, we just the market's going to try and cling to the positive information because that's the mindset that we are in. The, in the last two FOMCs, that's exactly what happened. That's why we got a pump for the next day or two, and then we started to come down slightly, but we made a higher low. If you're looking at the charts. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that are important to keep in mind. The first, and, and Powell knows all this, right? The first is when they start cutting rates, historically, that has been absolute disaster for markets, right? If you look at the market, the, the, the talking about the rate cut is good for the market. The actual rate cuts happening, not so good. Uh, markets are uh, at all-time high. Is that because the markets are always yeah. forward-looking? Well, there's lots of reasons. I mean, Scott and I and James Lavish and Mike McGlone, we always talk about this. But the fact is, is if there's a if there's one chart, and I'll let Scott bring it up in terms of the veracity. But the the the, the fact of the matter is, there's lots of reasons. Generally, the Fed starts cutting rates after uh, things look really bad, and so they are trying to thread a needle here. They're trying to thread the needle, as Donish was talking about that. The reason they'd be cutting rates is because they know something is breaking in the financial system, right? You know, they can make an argument that inflation is down, and so they really want to go to a neutral rate. I strongly suspect that what he's going to try to do is continue to signal that they believe there's a need to go from restrictive, not to accommodative, but getting closer to neutral. And I think that new normal of 3% um, is they're not going to actually say it, but that's kind of what they're, they're, they're moving towards. Because the big piece of information here, the thing that everyone has to eye on the ball is the long end. And Fed short rates don't control the long end. The fact is they can't afford the long end of the curve to keep moving higher. They just can't. Uh, at a trillion dollars of interest payments you know, a quarter, it's, it, or a trillion dollars of interest payments a year, excuse me, you know, at today's rates, it's already the largest component of the budget deficit, and it becomes a, a, a vicious circle, and they can't afford that. So they're trying to do everything they can to manage the long end. So I think that, yes, he's going to want to preserve optionality. Yes, he's going to want to say they're vigilant. Yes, he's going to want to say all those things. But ultimately, I expect it to be a nothing burger, meaning I don't think that we're going to get any new information. And I tend to agree with what Rand was saying, that I think the markets will ultimately kind of flip around. Around, but take it somewhat positively. I'd be surprised if anything other than that happens. I, I, the only thing I would say is maybe the qu quarterly refunding announcement might be more important, but I still think the market is looking for a reason to to waffle. I think the market, the sentiment has been this is not real. We're hearing it across the board. Even the the Tom Lees of the world are saying 
hey, there might be a gap here. We might there might be some air an air pocket. Uh, when when people like Tom Lee are saying that, that means that things are not looking too good. Since the, you know, uh, I think he wakes up in a bull suit every morning. So I, I think it's yeah. You know, it, it it seems as though the markets are looking for it. For people that are not aware, the QRA uh, for Q1 is due on January 31st, and so uh, uh, AKA today. And so uh, you know, I think that's going to bring more liquidity into the market, and I think that's something that people are watching out for. I think that's right, Donish. And I think the other point is, and I think Tom Lee is looking at the same thing as, as I'm looking at, which is we've seen this before. I mean, this is – it feels a lot – I've said this before. It feels a lot like the 2000 election year. And in the 2000 election year, people don't remember this, but March was really ugly, uh, particularly for the, the high-flying tech stocks, uh, like a 15% correction in one day. It, it all came back by the summer and then obviously we slid into you know oblivion coming in going into 2001 but the the, the reality is is there's a lot of people who have to pay taxes on capital gains <laughs> from last from the last year and that's generally a march effect and so here we are in january we got kind of a month to figure it all out that's also interesting on the market the other thing is we heard from claudine yesterday that you know at these levels they don't care about the stock market I mean, obviously, they would care about the stock market if it dropped some, you know, if, if there was a crash, they would care. But I don't think the Fed is trying to manage toward the stock market. I think they've made it very clear that if the stock market drops, that's not what they care about. What they do care about are bank or bankruptcies and banking contagion. Uh, and Dave uh, and Danish and anyone else could jump in afterwards. How would you link that? Well, Danish jumped off. Dave, how would you link that to crypto and risk assets in general? Well, I think that that. The most important thing to keep in mind is risk assets in general, some have performed extraordinarily well. Uh, some haven't because crypto kind of delinked a little bit last year, right? You know, and, and certainly in 22, delinked a big time. So it really depends. It's asset by asset. The real question is, will liquidity conditions improve or will they get worse? And I think pretty much everybody believes liquidity conditions will get will improve, but it might very well be that there's a reckoning in the pricing of risk assets. So if it's kind of a gentleish sort of decline or then, you know, uh, honestly, there could be continued delinking. If the one thing that always happens, and this is something that everybody needs to it's just there in a mass in a crash in a massive down move, correlation goes to one. Because everybody starts selling everything they can sell, not what they want to sell. So, you know, will that happen? I think the Fed is going to try to be as proactive as possible. That's why in December he changed the tone, right? I mean, if you think that that wasn't because they're afraid of a of a cycle downward, uh, well, then there's a bridge I could sell you. You know, I, I think it's really clear. Remember, this is an election year. The Fed does not want to be you know, uh, accused of affecting the election by doing anything. They don't want to be too accommodative and they certainly don't want to be too restrictive to cause the, you know, to basically to cause the economy to go, you know, kerflunk. And, and I, want to, I want to kind of link this to uh, Peter, unless you have something to add to this, I want to go to Juan, Alex, and the rest of the panel on the ETF numbers and uh, just the latest there. <laughs> go ahead, Peter. I just add uh, three quick things on stuff we've been talking about is, <clears throat> one, I think he's got to be really careful today because the Fed loves job owning, right? The Fed loves Fed speak to kind of manipulate rates throughout the period. No one in the market paid any attention to what anyone said from the Fed this past month, right? Basically, when Powell did the about face in December, he neutered all Fed speak. Basically, all the Fed speakers have come out saying they've got to be cautious about cutting, blah, blah, blah. So if he does anything against that, 
he really risks using Fed speak and jawboning as a tool going forward. So I think that's one reason he might actually have to be a little bit more hawkish than he wants, because he kind of screwed all the other Fed speakers for the last month. Literally, we've ignored them all. Um, you know, we keep talking about election year. I think we're going to start having to talk about a campaign year. And by that, I mean, I think this campaign is already starting. So the election normally, right, we'd be figuring out who the candidate's going to be. We'd be talking about um, the primaries and the conventions. <clears throat> That's almost already all over. And I think social media, et cetera, is going to be very, very ugly this year. So I think everything's brought forward and it's going to be something that does have to weigh against the Fed because monetary policy is going to become a quote unquote campaign issue. So I think we keep talking about this being an election year. I think it's even worse than that. It's like almost this campaign year that is starting immediately. And the only thing I'll say in defense of CRE, one of my theories is being 2024 will be the year of work from office again. IBM just came out with some stuff. So I think that could help stabilize commercial real estate across the country if we really do get this push back towards work from office. And I think, you know, CEOs are getting tired of the work from home and any kind of slippy, you know, easing in the employment area lets them push on workers coming back in. Juan, are you with us? Yep, I'm here. So I want to pivot this more to crypto. And I know that uh, I think it was yesterday or the last few days for the first time on Tuesday. Um, so BlackRock and Fidelity's volume outpaced Grayscale. So are we slowly seeing a shift of a slowdown in Grayscale's outflows and inflows picking up? And I think we had the first day of inflows in a while um, this week as well. Is that true? Yeah. So la last week was the first week of net outflows with uh, the Bitcoin ETFs in aggregate seeing uh, net net outflows of 417 million, which uh, was starting to get the speculation that that things were slowing down. Uh, but things have picked up again this week. Uh, thus far, we have 500 million in net inflows this week with 255 million on Monday and 247 million uh, yesterday. So it's looking like uh, like things are still uh, having uh, having momentum. Um, in terms of volume, uh, what you mentioned is true. Uh, the the volume of uh, IBIT uh, and all and Fidelity's ETF as well, all the all the all the Bitcoin ETFs volumes have been growing. But those two uh, have been getting near and and uh, in in one or two days uh, last week, uh, I forget which days exactly, they they matched or slightly surpassed the the volume of GBTC, uh, which was you know over the over the course uh, uh, of time that's what was expected given the the high fees on GBTC a lot of you, we've seen the net inflows and rotation into the other bitcoin ETFs at lower fees uh, and and the volumes uh, because of that are picking up as well so i think that's that's very positive for for the for for the ETFs uh, since launch the ETFs now have combined net total flows of 6.6 .6 billion uh, which have been offset by net outflows from GBTC of 5.5 uh, billion. So we're. we're does that mean? So does that mean GBTC is still sitting on about 20 billion? Is that true? Yeah, it's sitting on about 21 billion. Uh, so you know, still, still, still a big, uh, a massive, a massive fund. Uh, but they're they're continuing to see outflows. The pace of outflows from GBTC has has slowed. They were in the in the 450 to five to 600 million range the first uh, the first week and a half. And now they're more in the 250 to 350 or so million uh, a day. Uh, so they're still bleeding, but uh, it, it seems to be uh, slowing down and leveling off. Um, all, all in since uh, since launch, the the ETFs have uh, total net inflows of 1.2 billion, and uh, it's 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 still been a massive success. The 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 Bitcoin ETFs combined uh, uh, AUM ranked in the top of all ETFs launched uh, since 2023. So, so the total volume um, since the launch is at 27 billion. Now, if you take Grayscale out of this, what would the volume be and how would that compare to uh, to other ETF launches? 
if, if yeah, if, if you take the volume out of uh, grayscale, you're still sitting, uh, you're still sit sitting at volumes of about six, seven billion, uh, which still ranks them in in the top twenty, uh, top twenty or top fifteen uh, ETFs, ETF launches. And based on what metrics? So when you say top twenty, top fifteen, is that based on the volume in the specific period of time, or or what exactly? How did you measure? Yeah, based, put, yeah okay. based on the based on the volume in the specific period of time, I actually think that puts them uh, in 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 the top ten. Uh, I have to check the the stats uh, again, but it it puts them up there in in the most successful launches of all time. Okay, that's impressive. Uh, Alex, we'd love to get your thoughts on the ETF numbers, and maybe the FOMC as well, and just the market. In yeah, general. yeah, hey, everyone. Um, well, yeah, right now, today, uh, in this market day, both FBTC and IBIT are creating more volume at the moment. FBTC just barely than GBTC, but IBIT a significantly larger amount. So um, that I think that's quite encouraging in the scheme of things. I, I, it, I think the big question remains how far... How far lower can GBDC AUM go? Um, I definitely agree that the the magnitude of outflows has been receding since the high on January twenty second of six hundred and forty million. So I think that's that's positive in the scheme of things. You know, I'm looking at other. You know, if we think about GBDC as an overhang to the market, right? The idea that they're a net seller. Um, we look at others, right? And we think about Silk Road coins. There's still a fairly large amount, maybe. $3 billion worth of government-held seized coins from Silk Road and James Shong. I saw in Germany, they've just seized 50,000 Bitcoin from some, I think, movie pirating site, effectively, from 2013. Um, and there was another one in the UK as well. So we, I continue to... How do yeah. they? How do they start interpreting? It could be a side question. How do they seize their Bitcoin? How do they get access? To yeah. The so in that case, in the German case, it said one of the criminals sent it to them. So presumably as part of some kind of confiscation agreement or something. Um, so not clear exactly what they would do with it. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, so in that case, they the criminal actually sent sent the law enforcement the fifty thousand coins. Sorry to interrupt you. And you're going through to, to you're talking about the various overhangs, yeah. maybe pivoting to the yeah, market so, and the FMC So that, that's something I look at. I think obviously you have Gox and GBDC is probably the biggest ones. You do have Bitfinex coins that the SDNY sold, but I'm I think it would be likely that those would be returned. Sorry, that they seized um, right from the uh, the crocodile of Wall Street, <laughs> if you recall. Um, I think those. My guess is those would be returned to Bitfinex and not sold. So anyway, this is something. I think about GBDC in a similar way to these other sort of overhang things, and there are some still. Um, and we really, I don't think, can truly go to the moon with Bitcoin until some of these are resolved. And, and they are being resolved, so I think that's quite positive. I think GBDC is a positive story at this point. FOMC, I mean, I think I agree mostly with the commentary that everyone else has said in terms of the Fed's intentions, language. The question is really, I think, you know, are they going to start lowering rates in March and May at all. I, I, th I do think politics will play a, a decent role in that. It always has. Um, but I, I think more specifically as it relates to crypto, one of the, the interesting dynamic I'm watching today is what impact um, the ETFs, the Bitcoin ETFs have on trading around uh, the, the announcement and, and the commentary from uh, Chairman Powell. Right In, in the past, you, you do typically see Bitcoin trade um, with interesting volume and reaction to language and the release. It's been probably mostly people, uh, hedge funds and some savvy, you know, retail trading, either spot or, or derivative uh, based ETFs. But now that we have this giant 
you know, these giant access vehicles. I'm intrigued to see if we see volume spike or what reaction there is. On the other hand, like, I think you should really be, you don't see gold trade that heavily around these, these sort of, you know, FOMC meeting announcements more, perhaps the balance sheet, what the Fed decides to do. This could be a time when you might, depending on signaling, see people trim or add to positions. But in any case, we have a giant, you know, access vehicle and people do trade Bitcoin around these announcements. So I, I'll be looking to see volumes uh, around, you know, 2 p.m. Eastern. That uh, will be quite interesting to see what happens. So a couple of insights that I've got for you on that. So I think I agree with everything that you've said. Um, number one, uh, I know a guy who tried to buy, two guys that tried to buy uh, through their banks to try and buy ETFs, specifically the BlackRock one. And one of them was in a Swiss bank. Uh, one of them was in a U.S. bank, I think, funny enough, based in the U.S. So one was definitely a Swiss bank and one was in the U.S. And when the, the Swiss guy wanted to put through the, the transaction, the bank wasn't set up to do it yet. Like the bank just couldn't put through the transaction yet. So I think that a lot of the rails that allow clients to buy and sell the ETFs are not as, as you know, I don't, I don't think that they're, that they're as clean and simple as we think. I think that they're still a couple of onboarding problems. I don't think that this product, that, that it's as easy as just buying an ETF, uh, maybe unless you're positioned in the United States, maybe that, that's the difference here. No, totally right, Ran. Um, along, you know, we've talked on this uh, spaces a lot over the weeks about the advisor market and how their IV is really the target for these products and how they're mostly not turned on yet either. Um, I, yeah, you, you see a fair amount of this. Broker dealers in general are, are, are not all set up for this, I think. The big brokerage firms, though, like the Fidelities and, and the Schwabs, and um, you can probably buy these there without issue in the U.S. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, and I, frankly, I think that's part of the positive story to see these volumes and inflows uh, into these products when large parts of the infrastructure aren't yet turned on. Uh, tells me we have, you know, exciting times ahead. Jupiter in a bit as well, uh, but just your maybe quick over before going to Jupiter. I saw you actually for the first time. I saw that live trading where you get like, your audience trading with you uh, with the airdrop. And <laughs> didn't know you do videos like this is actually entertaining. I'm not a trader, so it's like all fascinating for me. But the question before going into Jupiter, which is uh, you know something that interests me, I think the audience would like it as well. Um, the just a market update. I think you talk about the trend line on your show. Um, I want you and Chris to kind of give us an overview there. Breaking through the trend line. Are you there, Ran? Otherwise, yeah, so for me, for, me, for me, we're trying to break through this trend line. We've been fighting it. We're trying to get back above the trend line. We're fighting this trend line. If we don't break above the trend line, we're going back down. Probably around 36 is probably the next stop. Okay? I mean, I'm going to not to start calling levels, but we, we deserve a correction. We could go up. The problem is that we're looking, we're lacking the rocket fuel to power us up. And I don't know, maybe the, F, the FOMC is the make or break. Maybe if we get a good FOMC, we go way above the 43,300. And if we get a bad FOMC, we actually start the leg down. And that starts us into the next decisive leg of the, of the trade. We need a catalyst. Because as it is, we're just hovering around this, this trend line. And it's very hard to make any decisions because this is the trend line which has been running since November, where we turned super bullish. Um, it was a continuation of, 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 the, of the earlier trend, but we turned super bullish in, in November. And so, you know, we, we, need to, we, need to, we need to break above that line. And again, I just, I think we need to look at what Paul says. And if my theory is right, we go up tonight. Um, we'll go up tonight, we'll go up tomorrow, but then we'll start coming down again after that. If, the, if we are to repeat the last two bullish FOMCs, 
I don't know if that makes sense. Chris, I don't know if you've got anything to add. Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, we can. Ah, oh, perfect. Chris, if you have anything to add, I'm going to jump in. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, for me right now, you know, we hit the target we were looking at, which was that daily S1 pivot. Um, that's also the EQ of the channel. If you draw the channel off the, um, off the bear market swing low there. Uh, and so that, that was a good move off that. And, uh, we've got this local range, uh, that we had there from, um, from basically this, the beginning of the second week of December. Um, and we've almost, uh, recovered that entire range. So, um, for me, I, you know, I think if we get, um, a bit of a pullback, more, uh, more of a pullback right here, uh, I think we'll probably be looking, you know, Maybe maybe around uh, forty one one fifty or so, but if we're breaking out higher from where we are right now, I think we're looking closer to like forty four eight forty one and a half, and then pulling back kind of toward that area, and then going up. I don't locally here at the moment the structure off that um, off that recent low here back on uh, January twenty third, a couple of Tuesdays ago. Um, it, it just looks it, it's a very uh, bullish structure coming off that right now. And so um, until, you know, until something comes up for me uh, that says something else other than that, I think, you know, we continue to overall look higher still. All right, Ryan, you there? I'm here, sir. I'm here, sir. All right, man. So I, I watched just for the audience, if you haven't seen it, um, I've watched Ryan do a live trading session with his audience. It's the first time I watched, even I've been in crypto for a long time, first time I watched a live trading session. A bunch of Solana guys on stage. I know it's glitching for a few people. My mic is glitching as well. But essentially what happened is Ryan goes on the dupe. So it's a pretty big airdrop uh, that we talked about yesterday. And then Ryan opens up his screen, waits for his airdrop because he owns a bunch of Solana. And then, and then the audience is waiting for him and then he's telling him when to trade. I'm like, all right, let me, let me see what, what Ryan says, what the price does so I can call him out in the space. Um, and then Ryan's like, guys, buy when it's under, um, when it hits under 70 cents. It launched at $2, like short it, short it. You couldn't short it, it's not perpetual. But he's, he's telling audience to short it. I'm looking at the price now, it's at 76. It actually went as low as 68, 63, 60, just above 60. So about 63, 64. So Ryan, you, I have to give you credit, even though I'm planning to give you shit. You actually got it pretty right. But tell us more about Jupiter, why the ADOP is interesting, and how you come up with your price uh, so target. Um, yeah, okay, so I mean, look, what I did today was not magic. It was just a little bit of experience in trading these airdrops. Not, not the first airdrop I've traded. So, I mean, it wasn't genius, at all, although I'd love to claim that it was. So I'll give you the logic behind. First of all, what is Jupiter? Jupiter is a trading platform. It's a decentralized trading platform on Solana. It's a DEX decentralized exchange or, or a DEX aggregator. It aggregates liquidity across DEXs. It is currently by far, by far, by far the majority of the trade on Solana. When I say the majority of the trade on Solana, probably 80, 80 to 90% of the trade on Solana. Solana is also becoming very much the trade, the trading. So you're almost like investing in the DEX that is on the chain that is now home to the most trading. We spoke about that because not only are you trading Solana ecosystem projects, you're trading meme coins, which you ordinarily wouldn't be able to trade because the ETH gas fees are so high, but now you can trade meme coins. And then you're also trading, um, you're also trading, um, yeah, so, you, so, so it's, it's the trading platform. Now, what they did today was they gave an airdrop to anybody who had used the platform or by a certain date, they started airdropping you 
uh, free tokens. And, you know, we were anticipating these free tokens for a while. I think we've had a couple of shows about them. That's the, the, the history to it. Now, one thing that I've learned where you can make a lot of money um, is trading these airdrops. And let me explain the logic to you behind trading these airdrops so that you can understand what happened and what my, why my logic took it. And if you guys want to see this in, in real time, go and, look, go and watch my show because I did it on my show. It was live. It was amazing to watch. So the airdrop happened. It started trading on all the exchanges at the same time. And it started trading at $2, which gave the the protocol a fully diluted valuation of $20 billion, which is, I think, multiple, three times the multiple of, of Uniswap, just to give an idea, which is, that's a crazy valuation. The reason why that happened was because no one had their tokens to sell. Very few people had managed to claim their airdrop tokens because you don't just get the airdrop tokens, you actually have to claim them. And very few people actually managed to claim their airdrop tokens. And so because very few people were able to claim their airdrop tokens, no one had any tokens to sell and buyers who were buying into hype and didn't know anything the team, about Brian, the just The team in the back channel just sent, sorry to interrupt you, Jupiter will drop on Binance in four minutes. Not sure if that's, uh, you know, yeah, I, mean, stuff. I mean, it's pretty much on all the other exchanges. So maybe in four minutes, we'll see a bit of a, a price. Probably we'll see a price pump first and then a little dump. But anyway, let's, let's carry I, on. So there was no one to sell. No one had their tokens. And then retail buyers come in and try and buy it. And a lot of buyers landed up paying $2, which is a ridiculous valuation. That's when you probably saw me saying, guys, if you have your tokens, sell them. You can buy them back cheaper. And if you can short them on any of the perpetual exchanges, short now. And then I said, look, where would I be comfortable buying this? Because as more and more and more people are managing to claim their, their tokens, more and more people are managing to sell their tokens. And that will put sell pressure. And so initially, I had a target of buying back the token somewhere between 60 and 70. Um, and then that would be like the beginning of my buy zone, even though I don't think that's cheap. I think that's fun. You know, you buy it there, you sell it at 80. Uh, again, you buy it, you know, it's going to go down again, you buy it back. And then it comes down to saying we're at fair value. And I think, to be honest, right now, we're at fair value. I think this trade is dead at this level. I don't think there's too much value. I don't think it's cheap. I don't think it's expensive. And so... I've got no interest in this trade now, um, unless it dips or it goes up. If it goes up above a dollar, then I go short. If it goes down below 40 cents, 50 cents, I buy. And then I just land up holding it because I just think the thesis of owning some of the Jupiter USDT or the, or the Jupiter, which is the biggest exchange on Solana, is a, is a great thesis to be playing. I'm actually curious from the audience, and I know we have Joe here to give us an update on Solana in general. But anyone in the audience, let us know in the comments if you were actually – but I'm not a holder of Jupiter. I'm not friend. Do you still hold your Jupiter or you sold them all? Well, to be honest, I didn't manage to claim the airdrop during the show. You saw it was taking a long time to claim. Yeah, yeah. So to be honest, at this price, I'm not a buyer and I'm not a seller. So it's not even worth me claiming a token. I'll wait until tomorrow claim it. So there's no – like, unless this thing goes back to $1.20 – today, which is which would be very, very, very unusual. I'm not selling. I'm also not buying because it's not cheap. It's, like, it's not cheap. If it goes to like 50 cents or 40 cents, then I'll buy. But at these prices, no excitement. Ruder? Hey, yeah. So um, a bit of background. I'm uh, Ruder, the founder of Solend, which is a, a Solana project. Um, and yeah, we've been dealing with this dupe airdrop just now. We just had a war room because um, the, just the size of this airdrop is, uh, quite big and we're all anticipating potential issues on the Solana network, uh, just cause you know, way in the past, there have been some 
network issue, network issues, but right now seems to be smooth sailing for the most part. Um, it's kind of interesting. You guys were talking about the Bitcoin ETF a bit earlier, and I was kind of thinking like, in the same way that that was the biggest event of the month for crypto Twitter, this Jupiter launch is the biggest event for everyone in Solana. Um, just to give a sense of like, yeah, how, how much this means to us. Um, yeah, so from for myself, actually, I've been using Jupiter for a while for a bunch of work stuff and with a bunch of different wallets. And I was extremely lucky to get like 165,000 Jupe tokens in an airdrop, which comes out to around $115,000 um, at current prices. So pretty, pretty nice thing to wake up to and, and see in the morning. Um, and but what does that, what does that do to Solana guys? I have a very, very important, important question here. So what are you going to do with your airdrop tokens? Are you going to keep them? Do you have any intention of dumping them? And if you take, if you have any intention of dumping them, maybe give me some insight as to what you would move them into. Yeah. So what I'm planning to do with it is, um, actually deposit them onto Solen. Uh, so Solend is soon going to be listing. So Solend is a lending borrow protocol on Solana. Um, so people can deposit assets and borrow them and you get yield when you deposit uh, and you can do over collateralized loans, kind of like Compound or Aave on Ethereum. So basically Jupe is going to get listed very soon and there are also going to be incentives. And I'm anticipating to be uh, quite a bit of borrowing activity because um, a lot of people are going to be shorting uh, in order to hedge. And so I think uh, interest rates could be maybe like 50% uh, TBD to, to see like what it'll actually be. But um, yeah, and Solana is also, uh, we're running incentives. So uh, yeah, I'm planning to hold my bags, um, big supporter of the Jupiter team. So we'll kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah, I think, by the way, this is Joe. I, I just want to comment on a couple of things here. So first, this isn't an airdrop where you just get to buy it or sell it. That's just absurd to think about it that way. Number one, to, to Reuter's point, you can deposit it in Solid. Number two, you can deposit it into Drift. And now you can actually use that as cross-margin collateral for trading perps or other spot tokens. The utility of this airdrop is way bigger than, oh, I got a free stimulus check. Let me dump it at some price. That's just the dumbest thing you could possibly do with this airdrop. I'm actually buying more because this thing is dramatically undervalued for the actual roadmap that these guys, these guys actually. Well, you can't, have. But you can't. You can say, but hold on. But when you say uh, dramatically undervalued for the roadmap, I think you say this about any every token that exists is undervalued relative to the roadmap. And but the question is, can they deliver the roadmap? Can they can competitors eat up their piece of their pie? So I, I'd say, like, it's, it's it, would you say it's undervalued um, based on where they are today, excluding the roadmap? You can be bullish on the roadmap, but just where they are today, you say you're bullish or bearish? Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, of course. I put out a, a Twitter thread last night specifically covering this topic. Like a lot of people are trying to compare Jupiter to Uniswap, which is just categorically wrong. There's there's no comparison between the two. You basically have a constant market, uh, a constant product market maker, Dex versus Jupiter, which is an entire platform and suite of products. The team is lights out. They've been shipping nonstop through the prior bull, the bear, and and now, and just executed the largest airdrop in the history of Solana, and it's going off without a hitch. In fact, if you check the bird eye chart right now for Jupe, this is a straight DCA program that's just going straight up. 
there is no selling here. And so this is, again, like the idea that this is some like everybody gets an airdrop, it's going to dump and then it's going to rip and then it's going to dump and it's going to rip are just completely missing the product suite that they're actually have. They have delivered on and will continue to actually deliver on. Joe, Joe, help me out here. What, why is Jupiter uh, a project that you wouldn't want to hold tokens for? Let's balance it out, Joe. And go <laughs> I can't hold it. I just can't balance it out. I, um, I hold it. And Ram, you need to go claim. Oh, I shit. would not wait till tomorrow because when they ran a test with Wen, they had a time limit on it. I don't know if Joe would know because Joe's like the OG of Solana. Uh, end of July. You've got you've got plenty you've got a long time. of time. It can't be a twenty four hour time period. It's got to be a reasonable time period for you to claim. So it's, it's not going to be twenty four hours that I can promise. It's, you. it's okay. still, um, guys. It's till the end of July. You have plenty. Yeah, we've got of plenty time. of time. Listen, we've missed the trade. Just a quick one. I just read something which I think might be amazing for other people to hear. But FTX just said it expects to pay crypto customers in full. Um, all the crypto customers in full uh, in the bankruptcy liquidation, which I think is Holy fantastic. Shit. That's the first oh, so time hold on, hold on. So essentially, Juan, I'm going to go to you. So are you saying that everyone that had money in FTX would get all their money back? Correct. Now, they haven't elaborated as to whether it's going to be crypto or, or USD or what, what, what needs to be. But so essentially, okay. hold on. So Sam, Sam was right when he said that all customers could be made whole. And probably he's referring yeah, to the AI investment yes, that did well. Yes, but I think, oh, yeah, so all customers will be made whole. Yeah, that's, he's and, that's right. after paying, and that's after paying all the legal fees as well. That's after paying all the legal fees, but don't forget that like the equity holders will probably take a bath, and I think maybe the debt the debt holders will probably take a bath. But remember that they've had some great trades. Uh, that that uh, AI one uh, was uh, remind me the name um, Anthropic, the big one, the one that Amazon Anthropic, correct? Um, that was a big trade, and you know you had the price recovery. But then also in the same announcement, we also heard that. They are not restarting the exchange, which means all the speculation around the FTT token, which I did say at the time, I was very short. Shouldn't have closed my short, but I did close my short. Um, they're not restarting the exchange. So that exchange is, is now not restarting. Zach, uh, Zach, you just came in. Juan, I'll, I'll, if you've got comments on just the FTX story, because I know you want to talk about Jupiter as well. That's when you put your hand up. But Zach or Juan, any, other in, any more insight on the FTX story of all customers being made whole? Uh, no. I I personally, Zach, go ahead. You probably have more insight on that. I was going to comment on Jupiter and the impact on the Solana ecosystem, but I can do uh, that. That would be great. Yeah I'd, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts on that one afterwards. Zach, I don't think it's quite fair to give Sam credit for what he said before. He did not know that the AI equity was going to go up as high as it did. He was talking specifically about the amount of crypto and fiat that FTX had. And look, you know, the, they got remarkably lucky on some of their venture mm -hmm. holdings, but this is, uh, you know, I think this is just a stroke of luck and not in any way exonerating of the leadership at FTX. Exactly. Yeah, just to be clear, it's not, definitely not exonerating. someone breaking the law, they broke the law. There's a lot of you know, equity holders got screwed. Other people on unrelated to FTX got screwed. So yeah, definitely not that. But, but I was just uh, kind of giving credit for the trades that they've made and the, yeah, but it's not, it, it, uh, the I, work that the team has done. I, I, I agree. It is. I mean, I think it's. it looks like it to be a positive outcome for you know creditors who are still there in the end. But like, this is like, you know, where did he get the money to invest in those companies, right? Like, we believe he stole it from his users. So, I mean, it's like if you rob a bank and then you happen to make investments that after you get caught, go up enough to pay back the bank, like that, that is not okay. Or, right? or you go to Vegas and you put it on the roulette it, wheel. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know, there was an article that two friends of his parents, two law professors at, uh, one of them at Stanford, the other one who's a member of the National 
uh, Bureau of Economic Research literally argued that this was exonerating and that if the, the public had known, then they wouldn't view him the same way. And that that is just total bullshit, right? This is it is a crime to steal money from people. It doesn't matter if you happen to make good investments with that money. And just to be clear for the audience, so that doesn't impact the, the criminal proceedings against Sam and the yeah, no, it, it doesn't. He'll get. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, one, uh, go ahead, isn't uh, isn't CZ getting sentenced to? Yeah, he's in the. We were just talking about him earlier today. He's in the U.S. He's still in the U.S. Uh, I don't know what the date is. Zach, have you been following that? Yeah, I don't know the exact dates, but this is a pretty common thing to argue when you have a high-profile, very wealthy defendant about whether they are a flight risk if they leave the country. And his latest argument is that he is a family member who's having surgery and he needs to be there. Um, but the court is skeptical that he will ever return to the United States if he's allowed to go to Dubai. I have to be worried that because we were talking earlier that he probably won't go to jail for too long. So for the court to be skeptical, when, when does the uh, sentencing happen, Zach? I think I don't know the exact date. I think it is late this year. Like it's it's months from now. No, no, no. The sentencing is is in February, guys. It's uh, season it's in getting February. In Feb- it's in February. Yeah, I think he's scheduled to uh, to have a sent in February twenty fourth. So I don't know when he would actually start in the sentence, but yeah, I I would also not be surprised if that gets pushed back. So in a in a case like this, especially where the defendant has a lot of resources. The defendant does a very lengthy sentencing submission, the government, the prosecutors do a submission, and then essentially the um, Department of Corrections do a submission, and the judge reviews that, and this is a pretty high-profile thing. I would be pretty surprised if it's all done in February, even if that's the current date. Right. Uh, Juan, you were jumping in on the Jupiter airdrop, the impact on the Solana ecosystem. I think it would be a good place to kind of end the space. I apologize for... for, for uh, interrupting you earlier, but I love when breaking news happens. Yeah, no, that's 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 amazing to hear. Uh, good for the 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 depositors um, getting their money back. Um, uh, on on Jupiter and the Solana ecosystem, yeah, I'm very positive uh, as well on Jupiter. Uh, they they're doing an amazing job. I mean, just this week uh, they've topped the charts of Dex volume uh, and with uh, 480 million on on Monday. Uh, that that even topped Uniswap. Uh, so that's an incredible. Uh, uh, traction that that we're seeing on Jupiter, and I think that reflects uh, very well on the traction we're seeing on the Solana ecosystem. It's it's actually the fundamentals are on fire. Uh, transaction volume on on Solana has surged to 950 billion for the month of January. That's uh, that's up 30 percent month over month, and up from just 40 billion uh, in in September 2023. So they're really getting they're really uh, they're, it's really catching fire. New addresses on Solana ha- have hit their highest level ever. Uh, as well as a result of, of of the traction on Jupiter, the the when frenzy, uh, coin uh, meme coin uh, frenzy, um, and and a lot of uh, stablecoin uh, trading uh, as well. Uh, we're seeing uh, this month is January is, is on track to be the second best month uh, for Solana signups uh, ever, and December on third place. And they're they're up uh, ten mil- more than ten million new addresses uh, and counting for for January alone. So. Uh, you're really seeing strong fundamental traction on Solana, which I think is reflecting uh, uh, well for the ecosystem. We saw it top at about $120 uh, on on uh, in in December, and had, had had since come down to about 80, and is now at about 100. But I think uh, it's going to have another fantastic year. Obviously, it, it was up 939% last year, and there's also the lag effect of people chasing the price action uh, this year. But I think the fundamental support uh, continued growth as well.
Yeah, and by the way, let, like let's be clear here. This Jupiter airdrop is the biggest test of Solana's network in history. A lot of the the fudders and people that are you know ETH maxis or anti Solana fans, they have been talking about the reliability of the network for so long. This didn't even cause an issue whatsoever. Yes, certain people may have had delayed, but that's with RPCs, and you should expect that with high activity on the network. But the network didn't fall over. The network didn't didn't pause. The network didn't stop. So this is extremely bullish from the technology perspective of what Solana can actually do and, and provide to Web3 and crypto more broadly. That just isn't possible on any other chain today. Yeah, definitely. And I want to add a couple of things. Just a quick note about the uh, FTX thing. I was just thinking like, oh man, I'd rather talk about Jupiter who's giving away a bunch of free money to people than FTX stealing people's money, right? Um, I'm just trying to forget that I had a bunch of money in there as well. But um, but you get hold on. Yeah, but you're I, getting you're getting that money back. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So I don't news. know why I don't know I don't know why you want to forget it. So congratulations on that. <laughs> well, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I think Jupiter this launch is just the beginning. There's um, so much more uh, good stuff to look forward to on Solana. Um, if anything, there's going to be a lot more airdrops soon because people are seeing the success of this and trying to replicate it. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of projects with no tokens yet that are yet to launch. Um, actually, Solend is, uh, recently we announced an expansion to SWE, which will be launching a token and doing an airdrop to, uh, SWE, uh, to Solend users and token holders. So yeah, it's definitely stay like there's a lot more, um, airdrop farming plays to be made. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Solend is getting, also, yeah. go ahead, Drew, to finish off. Uh, yeah, I just want to add one one last thing, like a little tip for people who are claiming Jupiter tokens. Um, if you have like a lot of different wallets, uh, like I do, and if you're trying to dump it, not like me, I'm trying to hold it and put in Solend. But um, one interesting thing you do you can do is you can short the perps on Avo, um, and then you can just go and claim it later. So you basically hedge, and then you can like, because it takes a long time to actually go through all your wallets and and uh, you know if there are RPC issues or whatever. You can kind of delay that for later. Um, and Julian, the founder of Avo, is here, so it would be cool to hear him speak a little bit later as well. Now we're, we're going to wrap up, Julian, but we welcome. We'll do another Solana space. We'll bring you up. Uh, but otherwise, I think we've covered this well. I think Solana's getting a lot of attention now, uh, such a, a, a different type of attention to when FTX uh, collapsed. Who would have thought a year ago that uh, a year later, whatever, whatever, how long it's been, uh, FTX customers will be made whole and Solana will be where it is today. So. Congratulations on people like Ruder that are in the Solana ecosystem and have money on, on FTX. Probably a good day for you, man. Uh, but I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, anything, anything else to add, Ryan? No, FOMC meeting later. If you guys want to join us, we're going to be trading it live on uh, Banter Plus. Also, I mean, if you don't mind, let me just do a plug for one of our products. You saw that I had a very quick access to the breaking news. That is because we have a product called Banter Bubbles. Now, Banter Bubbles, on the one hand, is a bunch of bubbles that show you how the prices are moving. But on the other hand, there's a newsroom function, which is where our 40 researchers are basically living and they drop the research as soon as they find it. And I find that one of the best depositories of news. So go check it out. Let me know what you think. Bantabubbles.com and go and click on the newsroom function. You can literally watch the news scrolling while the bubbles are moving. 
Fine, go to MarioBubbles.com. I think this is a different – so Banter Bubbles is for market analysis. Mario Bubbles, it's a bit more fun. You press on the bubbles, and if they pop in time, I think you win some money. So if you want to play a game with Mario Bubbles, go there. Banter Bubbles if you want to uh, trade and get some news. I think that's it for everyone. And, and Scott, what Scott Bubbles uh, ran? <laughs> just, just click on the bubble and get a depressing note or a depressing quote for the day. <laughs> this, is, this is Scott Bubbles. But I think this is it. Uh, we'll wrap the show. Thanks a lot, everyone. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye, everyone.